Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. Today we are doing the horror comedy, or the comedy horror, I guess it depends on your point of view, Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Yeah, man. Um, So this movie, uh, I don't remember when I first saw it, but I'm going to guess it was, you know, maybe about 1990 or the late 80s. Uh, However, you might have acquired it or whenever you first saw it or or shortly after anyway. Um, And at the time, I think I'd only been exposed to um, zombies movies via like George Romero, right? So I had a very specific idea of what zombies were supposed to be. So I can't, I, I couldn't honestly tell you for sure if I liked this movie or not at the time. I remember not hating it. I do know that much, but I never went back to seeing it again. Like I, I do remember, I, I must not have thought too much of it to really think, you know, highly of it either way. But I knew you always did. And I never got around to rewatching it um, again. Um, and uh, you even gave me the Blu-ray, and I'm like, oh, fantastic. I'll watch it again, because I knew you loved it. And then there, uh, there's a buddy of mine, you know him, um, Jay. Like, he loves this movie, and he would quote it, quote it, quote it, quote it, quote it. And he just would love this movie so much. I'm like, okay, well, you know, obviously I missed something. Like, there's something that didn't click with me at the time that I missed that I have to watch this movie again, because the way you've described it and the way he's described it, like, this just sounds like a blast. Um, so I am so happy all of that happened, because this movie is amazing um it's shot like way up um uh, on my radar i'm i'm so glad you guys liked it so much to 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 for me to finally get around to watching it because yeah i absolutely missed out i should have been watching this should have been like my 30th time watching this movie um i think the first time i rewatched it which was i'm guessing maybe a month or more ago um this is probably the sixth or seventh time I've watched it since. This movie is so much fun. So, yeah, I, I was I was definitely um, whatever it was that didn't click. It just I'm, I'm glad it finally does now because this movie is great. Uh, so so go ahead. Sorry. Well, I know the first time I saw it was um, I want to say it was probably 1989. That and sounds about right. Yeah. I was I was getting into the zombie movies because as I we've said previously I bought VHS copies of Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead from the record town at the Bethune Mall which is a very old sentence and I saw that this was going to be on HBO one night but I know I was working at the 1859 house and I was working you know the the second shift, I knew I was going to be home in time to watch it, so I recorded it off of HBO, and it was the, also the first time I saw any part. I mentioned this when we we talked about Near Dark. Oh, right, right. Because right. I got the end of Near Dark on before this, which you know, I just starts the the tape starts with people running down the desert highway, bursting into flames, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm seeing right now. And then uh, it, oh. it goes into Return of the Living Dead. Oh, that would have been such a great double feature. No, oh, yeah, to come across back in the it. day. Oh, that would have been amazing. You, you could, you, you, yeah, you can't do much better than Near Darker than this. Absolutely. Yeah, somebody programmed that very well. And then this Hell is a yeah. movie that I have owned on VHS. I still have my first DVD copy, and I have. Uh, the 25th anniversary edition on Blu-ray, as well as the 30th anniversary edition on Blu-ray. Right In on. fact, I have, I'm lucky enough to have the deluxe collector's edition that Shout Factory released in limited quantities that came with two different slip cases with two different, you know, newly created cover art and the posters to go with them. It's uh, really, it was a really cool set. I was I was able to get it because it sold out within like 24 hours of them putting it up. Now, you don't have nearly the number of uh, copies of this film as you do Not a Living Dead, though, right? No, no, but I don't think there's nearly the number available either. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't suppose either because uh, Not a Living Dead is public domain, right? Yes. Yeah. So, like, it's it's pretty easy to just start up your own distribution company with uh, if you have a print of that and, and go. 
Now, once again, I don't think this is a movie we really need to describe too much to our audience. This is a really, really big, popular movie. I mean, unless they're like me and completely missed the boat or maybe younger... Uh, or maybe they didn't get the movie at the time, because like like I said, like one of the reasons why I may not have connected with it as much is because um, the only other zombie movies I would have seen before that were probably what Dawn of the Dead and and Night of the Living Dead, which I thought were great. And this movie is it couldn't be any less like them. Um, and and I think it does all of that in just such a wonderful way that uh, you know we've talked about you know leading up to this movie and a, a, a you know can't wait to get into now well what's funny is like it is it is so satiric that if you're not ready for it to be a comedy you may not get that it's a comedy and you might just kind of think it's dumb like they're acting stupid you know it's it's so well blended into much like um american werewolf in london yeah you know exactly yeah it's all kind of played straight but there's just that element of of comedy you know put in there right and if unlike, you're sorry sorry about uh, that go ahead sorry well unlike Shaun of the dead which is obvious comedy the comedy in this is just it's there it's like that's why i think this is more of a comedic horror movie than a horrific comedy movie well these aren't like yeah like these aren't business-like professionals when it comes down to the situation like they still maintain themselves and they're scared you know they're all scared um there's no like one stand-up you know that you know kind of take charge uh you know they, they try to alternately but you know they're just normal people and that's one of the things i appreciate about it and i think you're right like again when i came from um the the only other zombie movies I've probably seen previous to that again were Night of the Living Dead and and Dawn of the Dead, which are absolutely nothing like this. And I just wasn't I don't think I was just expecting it. Um, it just hit me wrong uh, at the time, and uh, I've just you know and I guess spited myself to just not watch it uh, again, thinking it wasn't as good as it is. And it is again, it's fantastic. If you haven't seen this movie, I, I promise you, you you'll you'll like it at least if you're into comedy horror. Um, um, and it's it, it, like it's a good horror. It really is. There it's al- it's also most... very funny without really trying to be funny. You know what I mean? Like it is funny, but they're not trying that hard to be funny. When which the I movie appreciate. Isn't just being you know like it's average scary with you know the zombie attacks. There are some of the oh, most gruesome, horrific existential horror comes up in this movie like one of the most horrific thoughts that you could ever like oh yeah you, you know it, it it's just there, there are some terrifying aspects of, of what some of these characters go through yeah and I think we're I, th- I think we're thinking of the same thing um, and it doesn't technically have anything to do with being eaten by zombies no yeah no. okay yeah we're on the same page yeah so let's just briefly cover the plot for the those who are have, are an uninitiated it, it, it starts out with you know freddy played by tom matthews it's his first day on this job of this medical supply warehouse run by uh, owned and operated by bert played by clue Gulliger, and his i guess his top foreman uh frank played by uh james carrot yeah it would seem like warehouse manager or something and um, just to get straight into it, in a movie that it was, as we talked about at the beginning, uh, well, you you guys won't hear that because we talked about it before we started recording. It's a tough call in this movie because it's another one where everybody is excellent, really, really excellent. But um, I don't know. I just find myself quoting um, James Karen uh, probably slightly more than anyone. Um, he is amazing. In fact, I almost wish I could say uh, James Karen and Tom Matthews together because they're almost inextricable. Like they're they are so awesome in this in in a, in, a, in a movie just filmed with awesome roles. But I love them uh, in in particular and well, virtually every line they deliver. Let's say this: James Karen and Tom Matthews are so incredible in this movie that despite their characters being killed off, they were both brought back for the sequel. 
playing yes. completely playing new characters. They don't reprise the characters they played because they were killed off, but they wanted that chemistry back. So they introduced the two new characters played by Tom Matthews and James Karen to the point where even during Night of the Return of the Living Dead Part Two, Tom Matthews is all like, This seems so familiar. You, me, them. Like we've been through this before. But, I mean, yeah, it's almost like trying to pick Laurel or Hardy or something, right? You know, it's it's um or Abbott or Costello. Like uh, they they're just so good. That's I just I'm gonna I'm gonna gush about them. Um, uh, I suppose in particular, but uh, Clue Gulliger, um, is fantastic. Well, we'll go through it, but everybody's great. So the first night on the job, you know, Frank is showing Freddie around the warehouse and. He starts telling Freddie the story about the weirdest thing he's ever seen and about how the government tried to create a, you know, chemical to, you know, spray on marijuana to destroy marijuana crops or whatever. And it ended up resurrecting the dead. And those bodies were sealed up in containers and accidentally shipped there to that warehouse. And so he takes Freddie down to the basement and he's showing him the, 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 the canisters and freddy's all freaked out by it he's like well these things don't leak do they and frank goes are you kidding these things were made by the army corps of engineers and he smacks the canister which of course sprays toxic gas all over them which unleashes through the warehouse and starts resurrecting the one of the cadavers they have in refrigeration because they supply cadavers to the local uh, medical schools. And uh, I found out that, um, so when when um, Frank mentions that all the skeletons come from India, uh, at the time, there was actually some truth to that. Because oh, I looked into it, it wasn't just a one, it wasn't just like a one-off line. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. So... While they bumble around trying to figure out what they need to do with this screaming corpse in the refrigerator, and Freddie's like, well, let's call the police. We can't call the police. Well, let's call the army. We can't call the army. Well, who do we call? And he's like, we'll call the boss. And Clue Googler shows up and is like all upset like, you know, I told you not to mess around with those canisters. What are you, what are you doing? We, we got to get, we got to kill this thing. And that's where we find out what initially they, they start re- referencing Night of the Living Dead, that if they destroy the brain, it re-kills the corpse. Well, they do that, and unfortunately they find out that no matter what you do to these damn zombies, they're going to keep coming at you. If you cut off the hand, the hand remains animated and comes at you. You cut off the head, the body will run around flailing around. So Bert has a friend, Ernie, who works at the nearby mortuary, and he figures, well, maybe Ernie will help us out, and he'll let us use the crematorium to destroy all the... Because they also had dog cadavers for veterinary schools. If we can bring all this stuff over to Ernie, maybe Ernie will let us burn it up in his crematorium, and everything will be fine. While this is going on, we meet Freddy's friends who are all a bunch mostly punk rockers punk you know kids um yeah i mean this is 83 so they got the mohawk and you know uh his girlfriend tina's you know amongst them and she's like you know freddie gets off of work at 10 we'll go pick him up and then we will all find a place to go party together so they arrive outside the warehouse about two hours early when they decide they're going to go hang out in the graveyard nearby Freddie and company, they bring the corpse over to the mortuary where we meet. Boy, what a character. There's a lot to unpack with Ernie Carlton Bruner. Ernie. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack with this man. It's never outright stated, but it would seem that Ernie may be an escaped Nazi in hiding. Right. I mean, let's let's go through, you know, let's go through it all. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of the painting behind you of the guys in um, uniform playing 
poker. But when you first see him, he's got his Walkman on and he's listening to what sounds like some sort of marches. It's the Africa Corps march. Oh, it's it's okay. So you actually know what it is. Oh wow. For the German Africa's Corps. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, he's got like it looks like a pearl hand or a, maybe mother mother of pearl handle luger. Um, he 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 speaks some like phrase in German when he's looking out the window later, which from what I understand translates to the rain is coming down like uh, falling down like a drunken soldier. Um, yeah, there's something going on there, I think. But you know, there's nothing about uh, you know. Well, everything about he's super his nice, though. Says escape Nazi. He seems like he's a good guy. Right, right. He really does seem like a good guy. Well, like he's he's ultimately willing to help him. He's willing to go very far for them. Um, and yeah, he seems like a really genial dude. But right, he, I'm pretty sure he's an escape Nazi. Or maybe he came over like Operation Paperclip or something. But possibly, possibly. But yes, he agrees. There's, there's, and again, this is a movie you kind of have to see because there's no way we can we can deliver all the humor and performance that oh, that yeah. these guys put into their roles. The, I mean, the, it's just they they just go for it for for sure. Like the whole part um, that w- that you went through, going through the warehouse, and then you know ultimately breaking the canister. Um, like we glossed over that because there's no way we can recreate that. But that is one of the like I will rewind that scene when I'm watching the movie. It will take me much longer to watch this movie because I will rewind that whole part. Like the first, it's actually all before the credits. Actually, it takes like nine minutes to get to the credits. Um, but the pre-credit sequence is just brilliant. Uh, in, in an otherwise brilliant movie, it is. It is. It is just so much fun to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Ernie agrees to help them that he's going to burn, you know, at first he does, you know, they're, they're kind of reluctant to tell him exactly what's going on because, you know, Bert is worried about the reputation of his medical supply warehouse and they go in and he helps them burn up the corpse, you know, straight into ash. And, and here's the thing with Ernie real quick too, again, probably escaped Nazi. When, at first they're like, Oh yeah, no, we've got some like uh, you know dead animals to throw in, just some like stuff to throw in. He's like, okay, but then it starts moving, and they tell him, well, you know, they're rabbit animals, and he's horrified that they want to just throw them into the um, furnace. Like his reaction is like, that's awful. You know, let me at least shoot them. Yeah, we'll take them out to the parking lot, put them out of their misery, and then we'll burn them up. So and then, of course, he has to reveal to Ernie that this is you know a hacked up living corpse. So unfortunately, by burning the body, the ash and smoke goes out and it starts to rain. And the rain brings down that ash and smoke and the toxin that reanimated the corpses into the cemetery and starts bringing the entire cemetery back to life. Freddy's friends end up in, you know, first, they're they're the first to be, be attacked by these corpses and they go running to the medical warehouse looking for Freddy, thinking Freddy's in there. While in the mortuary, Freddy and Frank, who were both sprayed with the toxins, start exhibiting, you know, they're extremely, extremely ill. And And, obviously in pain. And that, like... That, that's kind of what makes this movie rough for me sometimes. Because you know, I mean, I've seen it so many times now, but you know what, like, what they're going through and, and the way that it's done is so drawn out and so just gruesome. Like you're As, almost feeling it along with them. Like it's not fun. It's not like 30 seconds or so. Like they're not like fine, maybe then panting, then like they're on a bed and then that, you know, 30 seconds later they're a zombie. It's, it takes like most of the movie. No, and these guys are in screaming agony. Yeah, it's bad. Point. Just drenched and in sweat. Like I, as you know, you pointed out too that there's no other than the zombies. There's no villains in this movie. No, nope. and Bert could have easily been portrayed as the villain. Hundred percent. You know, at first it kind of seems like he's going to be because he wants to cover this all up and not mention it. But the moment he realizes that Frank and Freddie are seriously ill. He's like, okay, let's put everything on hold. I'm taking these two guys to the emergency room right now. Right. 
And before he can even move them, they are in such agony that they end up calling an ambulance and reporting a poisoning case. And, you know, when the ambulance comes, the, the paramedics come along and do the initial examination. The paramedics are both confused because it's like, uh, you guys have no pulse, no heart rate. You don't appear to be breathing and your body temperatures are room temperature. You guys are exhibiting everything that would be us to pronounce you dead, but you're awake and talking. So obviously you're not dead. And when they go out to call for transport and get them, the paramedics are attacked by the zombies. Right. And just from this point on, you know, things escalate and escalate and escalate to the point like every time, you know, another cop or paramedic shows up to see what happened to the previous ones, they are immediately wiped out. And we should also point out that this is the movie that invented that zombies go primarily for brains yeah that's that's what i was um i had asked you that like before yeah that's what i thought um because i had never of course that i get i i only had so much experience to so many of these movies but i had never heard of it until this point we we actually get talking zombies yep quick moving zombies right up to the point where they're running yep and intelligent zombies we also see that this movie isn't about oh, you get bit, you turned into a zombie. No, you have to be exposed to the chemical. Right. Because there are at least two characters in this movie we see get bit and killed by the zombies, but because they're not exposed to the chemical, they do not resurrect, whereas another person who was bit by the, the zombies isn't resurrected until she is soaked in the rain that is carrying the uh, 245-trioxid. Yeah, um, that's yeah. Like that's one of the interesting things about this movie to me, especially being a zombie movie, is that uh, you know George Romero had brought you know brought up the the you know part of like humanity itself being part of the problem, like how humanity can't get together. Like it escalates throughout the three movies, and Walking Dead, of course, expounds on that, and a lot of zombie movies do, especially traditionally made ones. This one really does the opposite of that. There's no like you said before, there's no true villain. There's no bad guy. No one works against each other. Even like as soon as Frank um, real, I'm sorry, yeah, Bert rather realizes that oh, there are more of these things than just the one we thought we just killed. He's immediately like, all right, this is out of hand, you know. Um, to the point of like the 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 teenage punks. Yeah, they're relatively nice. <laughs> yeah, and they argue and they fight as friends do. Teenagers, the, especially. They they're put they put each other down, but as soon as it starts to hit the fan, they got each other's backs. They're looking out for each other. They're like, "Where's this person? Well, let's go help them out." Like uh, my Whip Bissell Award winner, uh, Mark Santorini, who plays Suicide, um, a very you know, again, he he really brings out a character that could have just been a one note character. Kind of a warrior a poet. He doesn't have a lot of time in the movie either. No, unfortunately, it doesn't. Because actually, he would have been fun to see more of. Because I I love his speech in the um in the graveyard. You know, you kind of actually right. do feel what his character is, and it's like I would have kind of liked to see more than that, more of that rather. But when he hears when they get to the warehouse and they hear the character of Tina screaming from the basement. He's the first to lead the charge down there. Like, that's Tina. Let's go. Right. No no cowards in this movie, too. Really. No. No, they do start, you know, let's, they, they do start to panic and, and, and freak out. Which is but... fair. Like, some, some are too afraid to move, which you can absolutely understand, given the situation and how it escalates. But there was no, like, there's no situation where someone's like, oh, not only am I going to panic, but I'm going to put you in danger so I can panic. Uh, like elsewhere, you know, like there's no like I'm going to slam the door behind me type of thing. So you get stuck with the zombies like there's none of that. No, but like when when three of them, Miguel Nunez, Spider. Uh, Brian Peck as Scuzz and Tina, Freddie's girlfriend, do finally make it to the mortuary. One of the first things they're trying to do is like not only warn them about, you know, there's all these zombies out there. We got to do something. But they're also concerned about the friends they've been separated from. Right. Right. Like, um, 
Jewel Shepherd is the Cindy. Cindy's her character's name. Chuck and Cindy, who Chuck is always hitting on Cindy, and Cindy's always putting him down. And she even says, I never really liked you at one point. But when they're trapped together in the medical warehouse and they're both scared to death, they bond. Right. You know, they're they're terrified about what's going on, but they never really lose control. Like Spider has right. a couple of points where he's in full panic mode. But once he's got it together, it's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Right. Right. Like, yeah. the, 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 like the freeze ups are understandable. It's it's when it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to like sabotage it for you so I could escape kind of stuff like they don't really pull any of that at all uh in this movie again like everybody works together immediately like they don't even try to bother with any sort of subtext between like because i i feel like i feel like other movies would have even made a thing about somehow about like how the punks are punks and you know these guys aren't punks like there would have been some stupid subtext there like no immediately Bert and, and ernie are willing to help them uh well of course again, they also know or at least you know ernie uh, Bert knows that he's somewhat responsible for it but um it's just like again it's just refreshing to see it really is. There's no, you're rooting for everyone in this movie, which is fascinating for a yes. zombie movie, especially a horror movie, a zombie, a horror movie, rather, especially a zombie movie. You're rooting for every single character. That blows my mind. And, and again, to the point where there's the time where, where Bert, they're, they're pretty screwed. Oh, yeah. And it's down to four of the characters. Uh, and Bert and Spider decide that they need to make it to the car grab a car, bring it up to the thing so that the other two characters can, you know, join them and get out of there. That's the plan. Get the car. We're coming back for you two and we'll all escape together. Well, they get to the car and as they try to go back, they are so swarmed by zombies. Yeah, it's immediate. It's immediate. They, they, they can't. And so they have to pull away. And at first, Spider is like, we can't leave them. And Bert's like, we have no choice. And then it cuts to the inside where Tina's like, they left us. The cowards, they left us. But Ernie realizes, like, they had no choice. You know, right. the zombies were going to turn the car over. Again, they could have made that easily. Oh, Bert's a coward, and he doesn't even try. Exactly. Instead, he says the exact opposite, and he goes, I know the man. He's going to get help. Yes. And that's what even Bert says. It's like, we'll get help, and we'll send it back to, you know, we'll send it back for him. Um. Unfortunately, they aren't able to get very far anyways because now the zombie menace is just out of control and they end up back at the medical warehouse. And as we said, like um, the movie escalates to the point where... And quick. <laughs> we know that there's a few times where the movie cuts away to an army colonel and his wife. Yes. And yes. We yeah, colonel, we forgot about them. Yeah, they're they're awesome. You don't see them much, but they're both great. The the, the yeah, uh, it's uh, Jonathan Terry as Colonel Glover and Kathleen uh, Cord Kathleen Cordell plays his wife, and they were runners up for my Whip This Award because you know they they just do extremely well in their scenes together, and it's established that. Colonel Glover is in charge of recovering the barrels. Like they've been looking for these missing barrels for 15 years. And, you know, he's constantly, you know, on alert to be called the moment those barrels are found. And you, you could like the, the, the wife doesn't say a whole lot, but you can see in his demeanor, it's beyond just being, you know, military and business-like. And you can see in her demeanor, like, how long this has weighed on him. Because he's literally waiting by the phone every single night for the last 15 years, or however long he's been assigned to it, waiting for this damn call. Yes, he's got equipment, like, this this whole, you know, like, back cave of equipment in the bedroom in case he goes, you know, that's got to stay until we find these things. Right, like, it's clearly, you know, it's clearly done damage to their relationship. Well, by the end, everything is so out of control. Bert finally decides to call the number stenciled on the side of the barrels. Why he never called when those things showed up to begin with 15 years ago is never answered. No, no, yeah, it's never mentioned. But he calls now, and of course, you know, when he gets, when, when 
the military gets the call, the number was probably designed specifically to be used only in this case. So when they get the call, he's immediately transferred to Colonel Glover, who asks him questions like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and why didn't you call? Okay, and what happened then? And you only hear his side of the conversation, but obviously she's trying to get from, from Bert, oh, these things have now been released, and now, oh, there's hundreds of them, you say? Okay. And, well... It's kind of a downer ending because yeah. the military basically dukes the area because it was the only thing that could be done. Which, like, and that's the thing. It's like, you, you get it. Like, it, you, you get it. They, they did. You, you figure they probably did the right thing. No, they had no choice. Since, right. You know, going in they there knew what the they were up against. Yeah. Shooting them does no good. Right. You know, maybe you go in there with some flamethrowers and try to, that's you know, what you'd have to do. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was already the situation was already growing out of control. Right. But the funny thing is, again, this movie ends on a downer note, but you don't feel down. No, no. Especially because the, the way they do, like they end the credits on such an up note with some like quotes of the movie, you know, like, hey, didn't we have fun? And it's like, yeah, you know what I did for a zombie movie that I almost expect to be bleak. Like they're almost like by default supposed to be. Um, uh, yeah, no, I had so much fun with that. In fact, like it was weird. Like I was so disappointed when basically when, you know, when each character gets knocked off and then ultimately at the end, it's like you, you feel genuine disappointment, but in a good way. And that you really were rooting for these characters to get out like this. I can't think, I really can't think of a horror movie where I'm not like, at least you, know, you got to go you know, it's with someone. Right. <laughs> you know? With somebody oh, yeah. just like, oh man, like you are literally, you were only written to be killed off. Uh, but in this one, it's like, man, there's no one who, like, you really do feel bad and you, you kind of feel the terror with them. It's just a very interesting way to do that with this genre. Well, like, you know, I'm going to put Train to Busan on the chopping block because I know it's a popular movie and I know people love it. But for me, the entire movie and experience is ruined by that guy who gets more people killed than all the zombies combined, who's the jerk and and survives almost to, right to the end of the movie. And it's like, if one of these idiots would just push this guy off the train, they'd be doing all right. The whole movie is ruined for me because of that guy. And and that's the problem I have when with the um, you know humans as the real enemy trope. It's like I don't necessarily mind it, but when it's overused, the the logical progression is to make those those um, instances more and more ridiculous. Um, and yeah, it ends up being becoming like a very unwatchable movie to a certain point. You know, when a character just becomes too unreasonable, when you can't even understand their motivations anymore as to why they would be the way they are. Yeah. So now, to the horror of this movie, as we mentioned, as Freddy and uh, Frank slowly get sicker and die and turn into zombies, we mentioned that they are in absolute agony, screaming pain. So... Well, yeah, I mean, they they establish... I mean, obviously, they establish that he's dead, but there's a scene when they... um they're moving tom matthews and and uh uh ernie notices like oh your blood is pooling so his blood is like coagulating like they're feeling their organs die presumably which well that's what i want to get to is because there's a part in the movie where they're able to get the top half of a zombie and strap it down to the table and ernie starts questioning her and she's like he's like why do you eat people and she's like not people brains just the brains? Yes. And he's like, why? Because it cures the pain. The pain? The pain of being dead. That's a horrific thought. Yeah. Yeah. And she even says that she can feel herself rotting away. Right. That ex- and, and I wonder... And they don't know, obviously... But I wonder, it's like, now, have you felt that way ever since you were dead? Or Which have you, you felt that way for the last, like, hour and a half? And you got to hope it was only the fact that them being resurrected is what causes the pain. 
Oh man, because yeah. The thought of being dead, the as death being a state of agony, is just a horrific thought. Now, going back to the punks for a minute, and going back to the um, well, literally how the zombies were created. Uh, to take the edge off of at least really for Tina and 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 um, you know those and um, and like Spider, they were out in that rain. Theoretically, they're going to get. Theoretically, they're going to end up like um, Freddie and Frank, right? No, because I think they didn't get enough of a soaking. Trash, played by Scream Queen extraordinaire Linnea Quigley. Well, I suppose they didn't inhale it either. Right. Necessarily, anyway. She is completely bathed in it before she's resurrected. And she even complains about... Oh, that's right. She comes back. Yeah. I forgot about that. She's completely soaked in it. She's like... Oh, and the cop, the... the, the, Well, actually, we don't know if that was a... Yeah, never mind. Sorry. Um, well, he was out in the rain, too. So, yeah, I think it takes a good soaking because at no point again, like, you know, Tina, Freddie, Scuzz, Cindy, Chuck, they were all out in the rain. Yeah, and they're fine. But it was it, it was really shown that trash was really, really. Well, plus, she was naked. Yes. She was literally buck naked. So, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't think... I mean, again, it doesn't matter. They were all kind of uh, vaporized by the end of the movie, regardless. Oh, yeah, no, they were going to be killed. Because, I mean, there was... I mean, they only guesstimated 100. We don't know how big that graveyard was. We don't know how you know far the rain fell on other graveyards or whatever. Yeah. Well, right, but they were turning, like, you know, an army of cops shows up at one point, and they're all wiped out and taken mm-hmm. over. Who knows anybody else in the surrounding area who was attacked as well. Right. And there's there's some really scary, freaky shots. Like when the paramedic gets to the ambulance, turns on the headlights, and it all of a sudden it illuminates, you know, a crowd of zombies just staring at him with those dead eyes. It's a real creepy shot. Oh, for sure. No, they they don't skimp on the zombie gore or effects, which are both excellent in this. If you're a, if you're a fan, which I hope you are, because I don't know why else you're watching a zombie movie. I guess. No, everything. Everything about this movie is firing all on all cylinders, and for sure, uh, for sure. While Dan O'Bannon had directed a short in film school, this was his directorial debut, and the name of Dan O'Bannon should sound familiar because you know he wrote Alien, Life Force, worked with John Carpenter on his first. You know, again, it was his college project that became a feature film. Dark Star. You know, this was... Um, he was brought on because Toby Hooper was originally supposed to direct, but Toby Hooper left to direct Life Force, written by Dan O'Bannon, and uh, they offered it to Dan O'Bannon to direct, and he said, well, I'll do it, but I really want to rewrite everything because this is... To say this is based on John Russo's novel... Um, Return of the Living Dead is like saying Billy the Kid versus Dracula is based on two real people. It is so, so different. You know, the, even, I mean, they're both about zombies, but even the types of zombies are completely different. I imagine they're flesh eaters like a. The the novel Return of the Living Dead is a direct sequel, well, Russo's direct sequel to Night of the Living Dead. Taking so place in the, in Pittsburgh and... Gotcha. Yeah, and even Sheriff McCullen returns. Same night? Same day, rather, I guess? No, it takes place about two years later. Oh. Um... Again, it, it, it's on the theory that at the end of Night of the Living Dead, they destroyed all the zombies, got it all under control, and then just a few years later, whatever caused the initial outbreak causes another outbreak. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to guess like maybe some random zombie escaped and wandered the countryside for a while. No, no. They, it, it just... It, 
just like it's not clear in Night of the Living Dead, it's it's not clear in in the novel. So yeah, it, it, this is really, as far as I'm concerned, it's an original screenplay. Um, uh, I know I named my. Uh, yes, you did say you you were given the Whip Pistol Award to uh, James Cameron. Yeah, I, I kind of want to give it to both uh, James Karen and Tom Matthews. Well, go things. ahead. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do that. Because it's, it's hard to split them because they work so well together. They, they play so well together. Well, again, that's why they brought them back for the sequel. They, they set the tone for the movie. I, they, I mean, they're pretty much who you see for the first nine minutes, uh, like I said, again, before the credits. Um, the sequel brings back another Tarman zombie, and the only character, because obviously it's a different uh, zombie as well. The only character that comes back for the sequel is Colonel Glover as uh, as played by Jonathan Terry as he once again has to you know, this time in, in the sequel it's it's a barrel falls off one of the trucks in a new housing development and then the pro- problem escalates from there. Oh, right on. Um, oh, random thing I thought I would bring up. Um, the, again, shout out to Jay who who noticed this because he had watched Polter like he he was doing like a movie weekend or whatever, and he watched this and then watched I guess Poltergeist I think next, and he pointed out that James Karen was also the one who um, didn't move the bodies in Poltergeist, as well yes. as the one who accidentally breaks the uh, cylinder in this. Well, like we mentioned, two of the punks um, are played by Mark Santorini. And Miguel Nunez Jr. They would both appear in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, and Tom Matthews would maybe be his most famous role as the third person to play Tommy Jarvis in Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Right. So very heavy connection to the Friday the Thirteenth series here. Yeah. Um. Have. I mean, I can think of so much more to say, but I know we'd go on forever. I mean, I could go on forever, but I, I want people to see it or at least rewatch it. Um, like, if you're already a big fan, then you, you know what we're talking about. Um, if if you're not sure, then yeah, please, please give it a shot because the energy in this movie is just so much fun. And um, it's, it's kind of hard to just break down scenes that are otherwise visual or try to convey, you know, the way that... Uh, lines were said because like this, this is a heavily quotable movie but in the best way um because the lines aren't really they're not forced or, or or anything and they're not like they're not set up to be lines they're just extremely well delivered relatively straightforward things to say that are extremely well delivered exactly it's not so much the lines themselves right because like like it's not a tarantino line but it's delivered wonderfully exactly it's the performance as the way it's giving you know it, it, like the whole but can you trust the bastard? That's yes. not a funny line. But the way it's delivered and the way it's brought up to, <laughs> watch your tongue. Brilliantly like timed. job, boy. Yeah. Or the movie lied? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and, and don't listen to a lot of the naysayers who will tell you not to watch Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Is it as good as this movie? No. But it's still a fun movie and still very much worth watching. Yeah, I gotta get around to rewatching that. I just can't stop rewatching this. Part three is almost an entirely different, it's very disconnected from this. I is is it worth giving a chance? I would say it is, but I'm not also I'm not gonna recommend like say you gotta see it. If you're interested, check it out, and then avoid five and uh, four and five at all costs. It is they are terrible, terrible movies in in every sense. They are just not worth your time. While this movie flies by, those movies drag by. Avoid. This movie absolutely does fly by. No, I mean. Before you know it, it's almost like like even after I've watched it numerous times, it's like, oh my god, this is almost wrapping up too. Where'd yeah. the time go? It's kind of disappointing, really. Like I, I mean, I could have, I would have loved another good twenty minutes or more. Yeah. 
Uh, it's such a it's such a unique movie. Uh, again, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a hundred percent worth watching. Um, I can't I can't recommend it enough. If you're not really into gore, then yeah, maybe it's not the best movie for you. But it's also not the goriest, especially as by modern standards. Um, it's just it's just excellent performances. Um, just such a wonderful cast, and again, just such a peculiar movie where a uh, horror movie where you're you're you really like every single character. It's energetic. It's yeah, the energy and it, it's for such a bleak ending too. Um, for such an objectively bleak ending, you leave again. You leave with a smile on your face. You leave. This is a good like party movie if you've got like friends, you know, and, and you're just looking for something to watch. It could fit almost any mood. Again, at least if they're willing to roll with the relatively gory zombie movie. I mean, to be fair, while it's a bleak ending for the cast, it's and again the movie does kind of imply it's a fitting like, ending. Oh, it is going to start all over again. The sequel shows that it didn't. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I, I I didn't even think of that. You're right, because at the end, right, the rain comes down and it shows them raising the dead, uh, the the dead coming up again. But, um, the but uh, you're right. The sequel it, doesn't it completely glosses over that. Yeah. Well, it also it, what they do show is just repeated footage of earlier in the movie. Right. Right. I guess they could say that was just more of an implication or something. I don't know. All right, so we brought up the sequels. What other recommendations would you have? Um, well, you mentioned Shaun of the Dead. I mean, I guess I'm just going to recommend others. Or um, I guess, well, you already mentioned Shaun of the Dead. Um, so a few more of you know my favorite comedy uh, horror, or at least horror with some comedic elements. Um, Evil Dead. Or yeah. at least the Evil Dead series, you know, Evil Dead 2 and, and Army of Darkness, of course. Even Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Um, another one uh, I, I like an awful lot is uh, Cabin in the Woods. Um, uh, um, you know, I had another one, but now I've, I've completely blanked on it. I should have written it down. Um, well, why don't you go ahead? Well, the most obvious two, I would say, are the Zombieland, uh, two Zombieland movies. Oh, for sure, yep. And I would say tonally, the most similar movie is, as we mentioned earlier, An American Werewolf in London. Oh, yes, American Werewolf in London. Um, and ac- actually, the other one uh, that just occurred to me was kind of Lost Boys. Oh, yeah, that's, again, very similar with, you know, uh, kind of a sp- mostly horror with comedic overtones that that's a good pick exactly very effective use of the vampire myth um very creepy good horror in there but also funny when it needs to be yeah i actually think that um return of the living dead and an american werewolf in london are a perfect double feature oh yeah oh that yeah that'd be a good like uh that'd be a great like friday night double feature or whatever yeah all right did you bring a random recommendation um, no, I did not. All right. Well, I'll give mine. And if you want to take some time to think about yours, I am going to recommend Braven, B-R-A-V-E-N, starring Jason Momoa. It's a recent action movie where he plays a lumberjack family man who, you know, has a, you know, cabin up. He lives on the American-Canadian border. He owns and runs his own lumber company. And one of his workers uses his lumber truck to smuggle drugs. And one day while he's smuggling the drugs, the truck has an accident. It's near where he knows his boss, played by Jason Momoa, has a cabin. So he goes to stash the drugs at the man's cabin, thinking, I'll come later and pick them up. Well, Jason Momoa, whose dad is played by Stephen Lang in this movie, has had a head injury, and he's just not quite himself, so Jason Momoa takes his dad up to the cabin to, you know, just kind of, you know, spend some time with them, and that's when the drug dealers show up to recover the drugs, and it, you know, turns into a fight for survival. As I was watching the movie, I really felt like this is a movie Charles Bronson would have starred in if it was made in the 70s or early 80s. Oh, That's right on. how good this movie is. Right on. So I, I recommend Braven starring Jason Momoa. Oh, right on. I'll have to check that out. Um, we uh, we have that. I'll have to check that out. 
Um, so what was the, um, I don't think we, yeah, we couldn't have talked about, maybe we did when we, when we were talked about, when we talked about Charles Bronson before, did we talk about, um, oh, I've completely blanked on his name, his, his double there. And that movie was it escape from death block 13. Oh yes. Uh, Robert Bronzy. Robert Bronzy. And it was that the name of the movie escape from death block 13, escape from death block 13. Uh, that was a hell of a fun movie. Um, yep. Flawed. I mean, deeply flawed, low budget um, action movie, starring again. I mean, you know, um, Charles Bronson's body double, but he's actually really good at it. Um, uh, that's a really fun movie. That for whatever reason, just well, I guess it came to mind when you mentioned um, Charles Bronson towards the end there. But that movie's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, cheesy, uh, not the best effects, but uh, it's a high energy fun movie. Be- better than you would expect. Uh, but be, be, you know, better than than it really had. Uh, you would expect it to have any right to be, but like you can tell that they tried, you know, and th- the effort that put is put into it is appreciated. The, the acting is pretty solid. Um, I like the storyline. I mean, it was it was as over the top as it needed to be um, to keep you interesting, but uh, really, again, really well done. Um, yeah, I, I, I was stunned at how much I really enjoyed it. They were trying to evoke that 70s grindhouse exploitation movie, and yeah, they did a really good job doing it. They really did. It's like, it's kind of a bootleg, um, uh, what's that um, Vince Vaughn movie? Um, oh, uh, instead Brawl and on... Cell Block 99? Brawl and Cell Block 99, yeah. Uh, which is actually also a pretty good movie, too. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily a recommendation because I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to watch it because I hear good things. Um, what about that Ghost Watch? Um, the uh, the BBC Ghost Watch. Well, yeah, but we, we we don't want to do all our random recommendations in this one episode. All right, well, fair enough. <laughs> um, all right, so yes, all that's left is for me to do the Magnus and Seven Degrees. Yes. So, Tom Matthews was also in The Dirty Dozen, The Deadly Mission, mm-hmm. which he was in with Telly Savalas. Mm-hmm. And as we recently saw, Telly Savalas starred alongside Charles Bronson in Violent City. Yes, he did. So, I didn't want to do The Dirty Dozen again. Fair enough. So, fortunately, they're right there. All right. Well, with that, as always, we thank you for listening. You guys have been a very loyal and dedicated audience, so I thank you for that. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Movie Matt Sorois, all one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. I'll try to remember to post the movies we recommended and as well as our random recommendations, so you can find them there. And you can see it, seek us out on Facebook at the Movie Asylum of the Weird, Bad, and Wonderful. So, thank you, and stay gold, people. Thank you, everyone.